1: The only
0: daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Football Social Daily on the very last day of 2020. And good riddance, I think most of us can say to this year, unless you're a Liverpool fan, probably. There's a slight difference about today's episode. Even the sports social team need a day off every now and again. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Earlier in the year, we released a new series of podcasts called Football Stories, which was... Slightly longer interviews with people from football that you don't always hear from. The likes of physios and youth players. And as is the case today, Mark Halsey, Premier League referee. If you like this show, there's loads more where it came from in our Football Stories series. You can search Football Stories wherever you find your podcast. Click subscribe and get the rest of the podcast there. But enjoy this, a little sample of our new podcasting football series, Football Stories. And Premier League Daily returns on the 2nd of January.
1: When I was thinking to myself, Mark, is my body telling me now that time's now to pack in because you you, you missed that incident and my body's telling me, Mark, it can't go on anymore. Perhaps my body just started to shut down.
0: This is Football Stories, a podcast that delves into the world of sport and finds some of the more interesting stories from within football. Now, most of this series is from names that perhaps you might not have heard before, but hopefully stories that you will have recognised from football. Some of the big moments from the Premier League down the years. Well, you will definitely will have recognised today's name but you might not have heard him talking about his career before because it is premier league ref mark halsey ex-premier league ref i should say and it's sometimes easy to forget that referees are people they just become the figures of abuse they're very rarely praised for what they do on the pitch and i thought it would be great to get the view of a referee about his time in the game particularly a referee who spent 14 years as a fixture in the premier league We're going to talk about his time in the top flight, his opinions on refereeing in the modern game, and why he decided to walk away from the sport after coming back from cancer in 2009. Mark Halsey is the referee.
1: Yeah, fine, thanks, Jim. Yourself?
0: Yeah, really good, thanks. I want to start, as is sensible with all these things, at the start. I've always wondered what makes someone become a referee in the first place, because for me, it seems like a bit of a thankless task, being the man in the middle. So I want to know, did little Mark Halsey... H six or whatever, always have that ambition to be a top class referee.
1: Absolutely not, Jim. Uh, always <laughs> wanted, always wanted to be a player. Always wanted to do well as a player. I remember starting out to, to, in my school junior team as a centre midfield, and uh, in, in my first ever game, uh, I knew I wasn't going to be an outfield player, and so I was in the next game probably put in goal, and that's where I stayed. All, all through my school time, playing in goals, loved it playing in goal. I played it, you know, in a, in a Saturday and Sunday team, junior team. Um, we had a good, we had a good side. I remember playing for our team called Walnut Wanderers, and then we changed our name to Hatfield. Island. Had some great times. Got picked up uh, in my early days at uh, with, with Tottenham. I was there till I was 16, and then w- was uh, released. Wasn't giving it 100%. I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do. Drifted out of um, football and then back into uh, back into non-league.
0: Do you think that gives uh, you that kind of experience? I mean, compared to someone like me, for example, having played at a reasonable standard till sixteen gives you a little bit of insight into the game. Do you think that helps you in how you manage a game when you became a professional get- referee? That understanding of how it works on the pitch.
1: Yeah, I think like, obviously I played. You know, I played with a lot of guys that I refereed on a on a Sunday morning when I first started out. When I, you know, when I first packed in. Playing football, I think it was when I was about 28, 29, because I just fell out of love with the game. Mm. And I said to the guys that, you know, I might think about becoming a referee, try and put something back into it. They said, oh, you must be joking. And I thought to myself, what am I doing becoming a referee? (laughs) Because that's the last thing I wanted to do. So it it, it was quite easy for me because, you know, a lot of the guys I played with, played against, I was then refereeing them on a Sunday morning in the Wellington Hatfield Sunday League and then again in the the Hearts County League on, on a Saturday where I began my career, I, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've played the game you're going to become a good referee. And for me, I was I was quite fortunate really because uh, you know when when my when my friends. Um, said to me, do you fancy taking up refereeing? And I said, you absolutely no chance. You could <laughs> go and do one. Obviously, I can't, I can't use the language that was used in, on this show. And I played for the, his Sunday team, and he was the centre-half, and I played in goals for him. And there was a team called Wellingborough that played in the well Hatfield Sunday League. And I've got to say... He was one of the most dirtiest players I've ever played with. He was, you know, referee's back was turned. He give he gives someone a kick or give someone an elbow in, you know, in the face and up. And and he become he become a referee. So, because um, yeah, I used to I used to when the football season finished, I like I love cricket. I love playing cricket, and I played for my local team was Hatfield High Cricket Club. I played for them for twenty odd years, and his garden backed onto our cricket. Uh, uh, you know, onto our cricket field. And uh, every time we used to walk around the boundary, he was there waiting for me, old oh, mate Russell, God bless him, who is no longer with us. Unfortunately, COVID got the better of him, which was very unfortunate and lost a dear friend. But he always used to go, and, come on, Mark, wait, come on, take up referee and I think you'll be OK. So I thought about it, this one particular summer. And I thought, well, do you know what? I said to him, yes, I, I will. I will take it up. I said, but I'm not taking the eight-week week courses. No way on earth am I... Going every Thursday to do a course to become a referee, mm. I said, "Give me the laws of the game. I'll read the laws of the game, and then see if you can get me tested, and then we can go that way." And I read the laws of the game, got tested, and there I was out refereeing on a on a, a Sunday morning and, and Saturday afternoon. So, so what was and, the uh, what was the shift then? Never, never never, never look back.
0: What was the moment that because you've gone from there from going? There's no chance I'm going to be a referee. I've seen the abuse we get. I've played the game. I've probably shouted at a referee myself. I don't want to do it. And then you've suddenly gone, "Now, nah, all right, I'll give it a go." So what what changed in your psyche?
1: Well, I, I just I don't know. It's just something <laughs> I felt, you know, I'm, I'm going to give it a go and I felt, you know, when I, when I, when I, when I did play, um yeah, you know, I, I always used to like referees that had good banter, good chat and allowed the game to flow. And I took that into my refereeing, you know. And I think what helped me as well was Working on the shop floor, becoming you know, working up as a becoming a supervisor, becoming a manager, and you know all, all, all the banter you have with the workers, and, and, I, and I think that's that set me in good stead as well. You know, it's it's not just about refereeing to the laws of the game; it's about managing the game of football, managing the players, having banter with the players, engaging with the players, laughing with the players, joking with the players. You've got to have that, and that's something I took into my games. And, and I had that all the way through. I, I refereed no differently on a Sunday morning. So I refereed, you know, I was, I was lucky enough to reach the top, you know, the, the elite, you know, FIFA, I'll become a FIFA referee. Yes. I, I just took that into all my games. And I think it um, kept me in good stead because, I, you know, listen, I'm, I'm like any other referee. Of course, of course, I've made mistakes, but it's how you deal with and and treat players. The game of football's the same from grassroots, right way up to professional level. Well, the only difference is, you know, on the way, the players get better and better and better and, and, the, and, the, and the difference around the, the stadiums become a lot bigger and a lot better.
0: A referees still given that that room to have that relationship with players because you quite often see <laughs> a referee having a joke with a player on the pitch and they'll be pillared by pundits or fans going, oh, it's a serious game, you shouldn't be having a laugh. It doesn't really seem like that dynamic exists anymore so much, maybe with, with a lot of the refs anyway.
1: We can't. Players like that. You can referee with a, You can still referee with a bit of common sense. You know. Mm. You can get your players on your side. We you know. Players know the referees. Players know what what they can get away with and what they can't get away with. Referees. They know the. The, the weak referees, they know the strong referees. They know the referees that they can have a laugh and a banter with. I mean, I always. I mean, I had banter with all the players. You know, from non, you know, from Sunday morning arts County league all the way up through through my leagues. Me, you know, up to the professional level. I mean, I, I mean, I, I can't say to you, I can't say on your podcast what language was used. Yeah, shop <laughs> floor language was used all the time. I mean, I used to have some great conversations or great chats with Danny Murphy. I mean, Danny Murphy. You know, he was at Liverpool, Tottenham, Fulham. Yeah, we used to we used to go hammer and tongs at each other. Steven Gerrard, Alan Shearer, Patrick Vieira. You know, Ronaldo I used to have some right conversations with him. Hey, don't you be going down easy today, because you'll get absolutely nothing out of me today. <laughs> and he'd look at me, and he and, and but he wouldn't go down easy. It's, it's, it's about doing your homework and and getting in their heads and in the tunnels. I used to go along the line and say to players, "Hey, listen, hey, I, yeah, remember, remember what you done with me last time? Yeah, you caught me out that time. You won't be getting me this time, eh? Hey. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you you talk with them all the time, and um, you know, refereeing's not a science; it's an art. Y- yes, you do make mistakes, but as long as you're Long as you have that engagement and that rapport with the players, sometimes you can get away with it. Now, listen, I made I made mistakes. I made mistakes from McKeon. I, I missed, I missed challenges where I should have given red cards. And you, you know, sometimes you when you when you, you do that and you go home, you think, how oh, have I missed that? How on earth have I missed that? And you, you're gutted. You know, you feel sick in the stomach. But that, that that's the way it is. That it's human. You yeah, we're we're all human. You can see, even with VAR at the present, we're still mm. making mistakes, even though we've got VAR. But I still referee, I referee in a veterans league, I still play. I've gone back to playing goalkeeper, I'm 59 years of age, I'm the number one in our veterans Fair team.
0: I'm,
1: I'm the oldest player, 59, I'm still diving around like the cat. Listen, it's about showing empathy. I played last week and I was, I was really embarrassed. I, you know, we were playing in a friendly, I mean, so I, I, you know, sometimes I live a little bit out in Spain, I'm backwards forth. we have a Playing a team called Oriwela or- or- Costa Vetrianos, and we were playing a team called Guadalupe, And We were doing well, you know, we were playing well, and they had a lot younger players than us because you can have you can have any any age, but you can have five players that are from thirty to thirty-five. You know, our defence is about an average age of about forty-five, and then all these all these teams have their thirty to thirty-five six to play, play up front, and they're a lot quicker than us. Mm. We had this referee on um, on Sunday. I, I mean, listen, God bless him. He could he, he could hardly walk, but he was giving decisions from the halfway line. And this, he give this decision to to uh, Guatemala. and he give a, a deliberate pass back. And it was a fantastic challenge, a great tackle. So I've come out and dived on the ball, picked the ball up, and he's give a free kick. So okay, he's a referee. You got you know, let him have it, and no problem. You don't argue. With a, a, a back pass, what, what is the law on a back when someone when a referee gives a free kick for a, a back pass? Indirect free what, kick, is it? Yeah, indirect free kick. So, you know, can you score from that or can you not? No. Thank you. But anyway, so <laughs> first, of all, first of all, right, he gives the free kick. He doesn't give the free kick inside the box. He takes the ball outside the box. The, the centre forward shoots, I Me mean, knowing the laws of the game, he do not put his arm, but it's an indirect free kick. So I let the ball go in the goal and get the ball and take a goal kick. And he gives a goal. He gives a goal. So I, I just, I just lost it. I lot because knowing me, knowing the laws of the game, I shouldn't have done it. But well, I went running after. I said, Ref-, you know, he's a Spanish referee, and they speak a little bit of English. He said, oh. I said, I said, it's indirect. I said, it's indirect. You can't score from an indirect free kick. He said, no, 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 new rule, new rule, new rule. Come in this season. And I just I went, I just went, <laughs> oh, I don't believe this. And their players were saying, yeah, it's a new rule. So it's new rule. So I got home. I said, this ain't a new rule. I mean, I'm up on the laws of the game. So I got home. I got the laws. I got the law up. And I just photocopied it and sent it to him, sent there it to go. the away to say, listen, these are the laws. And I sent it in Spanish. So they understood it. So I was fuming. And you know, But you can understand sometimes. And I thought to myself, Mark, what are you doing? You're a referee. You should be doing that. Mm. But listen, <laughs> yeah, we all, we all have show, we all have a little bit of red mist down again, don't we? Even even us referees.
0: <laughs> it's obviously was a I mean it was a long time between you going and reading that book for the first time, going through the rules and signing you were going to be a referee to finally reaching the Premier League. That happened in 1999. It was yeah, as I said earlier, a start of 14 years in the top flight. First game I believe was Wimbledon I'll versus tell Coventry. It, tell it,
1: yeah. Wimbledon Coventry.
0: What was it like stepping out onto the pitch as a
1: one all, one all wasn't it? I,
0: I believe so. Yeah, well, you, you tell me. <laughs>
1: did I hold a penalty as well? I think, I think in that game commentary. I think.
0: Did you get the same buzz stepping out onto the pitch as a referee as you would have as a player? Do you think? Was it the same experience of kind of?
1: Oh yeah. Listen. Yeah, you know, you're, you're stepping out in in world's number one league, and of course, of course, you have, of course you have nerves. Um, yeah, very nervous. You're very nervous until you blow that whistle. You blow that whistle, and then you get you get into it, and then. Referees, like you know, you've got to be confident. You've got to have confidence in yourself, and it's no different to players in any in any sport. Everything's about confidence, and refereeing is exactly the same. You know, you get that, you give that first decision, whether it's a, a big key match decision in the first few minutes or it's a little decision. You know, you give that, you give that, and, you, and it's right. And all of a sudden, your, your your body language all changes, and then you start becoming confident, more confident as the as the game goes on. So yeah, listen, it's all about confidence. And and listen, there's no one who had nerves like me before a game. Mm. What goes through your
0: head? Do you want to make an impact? Do you want to kind of be noticed or do you just want to let the game... No, no,
1: absolutely not. Well, it's not about referees. It's not about us. It's about the players and it's about, you know, entertainment and it's about the fans. It's not about us referees. I used to love it if I could just go out there Referee a football match with no yellow cards, no red cards. That was my aim. I mean, obviously, yeah, obviously, that's 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 never going to happen. It did happen on a few times. I remember refereeing the Sheffield Dar, Sheffield City Derby. You know, United and Sheffield Wednesday. No yellow cards. They couldn't believe it. It was unheard of. But I did. <laughs> so yeah, you know, yeah, it's great. But. No, listen. It, it, for me, it's about going out there and refereeing and refereeing the game of football, and refereeing for the players, and you know trying to make it enjoyable for them and for the third team, the, the match officials, because we're entitled to enjoy it and, and enjoy ourselves as well. Although we got, you know, we've got a job to do.
0: You mentioned your relationship with the players earlier. In that game alone, there were some big personalities. I mean, Coventry would have had Gary McAllister, Wimbledon would have had John Hartson at that time as well. They were the types of players who wouldn't have been afraid to tell you what they thought, um, maybe even being a little intimidating at times. Did you get many Premier League footballers that when you were refereeing tried to intimidate you into making decisions? And I'm thinking of yeah, yeah, Patrick Vieira yeah. and Roy Keane. They would
1: try that. They would try and, um, you know, I, I would give back as, as good as they give me. Same with managers, you know, they, you know, you go down that tunnel, you don't see what, no one sees what happens down that tunnel, but most of the time we, you know, have to walk past their dressing room and they sort of stand there waiting for you and give you a little bit of a, in the ear, and you just, you know, a few expletives and a few expletives back and in your dressing room you go, have your cup of tea and then ring in the bell to get out for the second half. It's all mind games, you've got to be mentally tough and mentally strong and just show them, listen, hey, Say what you want, but, mm. you know, I'm in charge out here and um, and away we go.
0: Did you have a nemesis, or like a player that you really disliked refereeing, that you knew it was going to be a hard afternoon when you saw him on the team sheet?
1: No, listen, I, used to, I mean, listen, when you used to referee players, you know, I used to love refereeing Roy Keane, Paul Skulls, fantastic players. But, you know, with Roy, Roy Keane, you knew what you get. And if he was unhappy, yeah, you're always talking, don't do it, easy, easy, easy challenge, hey, hey, easy, Sculls, take it easy, don't, don't go in, it's easy, you know, but if he wanted to pick up a, a caution, a yellow card, you know, for a challenge, he would make sure, he would do it, he wouldn't go behind your back and do someone behind your back, he would do it, he, you know, he would put in that challenge in front of you, so, you know, and he used to acknowledge, acknowledge you, give him a card, no problem, Mark, I, no problem, I, I deserve that, but I think, you know, there's, there's many there's many players that I always got on with, and I, I think there was one player, I mean, I got on really, I mean, I got on well with, with Danny Mills, great, great player, but he was on the pitch, he's always in your ear, always whinging and moaning about everything, but that's the way it is, you know, that's the way it is, they, 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 they um, you know, they do that to see what they can get out of you, and see if you, and find out if you're weak, but, you know, they, they knew what they were going to get out of Mark Olsey, and, you know, and I sort of enjoyed, enjoyed me, me, me career, I mean, I mean when I did retire, I did miss, I missed the banter, but, you um, mm-hmm. It's, even now i still you know speak to a lot of them and we have they you know, have their numbers and um we text and speak and talk about what's going on and, and decisions that, uh, even even to this day
0: there's a few times you caught the headlines through the years not least was with a bit of personal news when you were diagnosed with throat cancer now yeah f- for anyone that news is a massive shock that they've got cancer but for someone who considers themselves fit and healthy who Spends their life in sport. It must be doubly so, I guess.
1: It was. It was. Um, it was. It was difficult times because that that year, I think, January the first, my wife was diagnosed with leukaemia, um, myeloid leukaemia, and she's still battling that now. Then come to August two thousand nine, I was diagnosed with throat cancer, with a tumour. Mm. So yeah, it was. Um, I always remember receiving those two days before I was refereeing the first. 5.30 game was Everton Arsenal on uh, I think it was um, ESPN I think it was on it was it was on live then and yeah it was it was a big decision whether I went to referee that game or not and because um, I, I knew on the Monday I was in the Beaumont in Bolton having having an operation so yeah it was it was um, very 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 tough um, times that, that that year for, for us both for, for, for you know my wife Michelle and me and, and, and our daughter Lucy it was it was very very tough and um, you know but, well, you know, I've come through it. I mean, I was told that um, I may not survive, but if I did, I would never, ever, ever referee again at the top level. And I just thought that was the inspiration I needed to um, go and show them what I could. So I'm I'm very lucky and thankful at this present, especially to you know, that wonderful Hospital of Christie and my uh, mm-hmm. Professor Tim Illich.
0: How important was it you to make that return to the top flight? You said it was a motivating factor. Do you think it contributed to you being able to beat the cancer, to have that kind of that point of, I want to get to where I was before.
1: Yeah, I, I think for, for me, I think it was um, to set out and um, be an inspiration for everybody that had been battling cancer and, you know, going through chemotherapy, radiotherapy, like I went through, me knowing exactly what it was like because I had a lot of down days, a lot, a lot of down days. So yeah, I just you know, when, especially when I came back, at, you know, when I got back into the the, the the reserve league of the football league, and and then into the football league, and then obviously every every game was was fantastic, and then obviously getting back doing me friendly before the season started at Goodison Park, which, you know, I had a great affinity for Everton Football Club and their fans because they know the game of football and I always got a rousing reception, even before me on the set. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back, doing a, a pre-season friendly against Everton, Chile, from um, uh, and 26,000 fans and they presented me with a, with a little memento and the reception I got was, 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 you know, I remember that for the rest of my life, as I did at a lot of football clubs, you know, but that was that, that would stick with me and, and I remember my first football league game at Rotherham, you know, the reception I got there is you know, you know they it always, it always stick with me for the rest of my days.
0: It was your cancer that shockingly became a focus of some of the abuse you received via social media, via Twitter a couple of years later and it came after you sent off John Joe Shelby in a Liverpool match versus Manchester United. Now, I'm sure, and I might be wrong, but I'm sure that's probably not the first piece of abuse you received via social media or any other but you ended up contacting the police on that occasion. Why was it that that was the breaking point for you?
1: Well, listen, I mean, uh, to be fair, over my career, that was the first really serious abuse that I, I, I received. You know, I like to thought that I was, you know, people, you know, people regarded me as a, as a, as a fairly decent referee, hmm. um, a referee that allowed the game to flow, didn't like you sending off or producing yellow cards, always gave players a chance. And I think when it see so abuse didn't bo- didn't bother me. You know, going one ear out the out the other, it's part of course. That's that's the nature of the beast that we're in. You know, and and you you accept that, and, and people pay their money, and they can you know if they want to shout abuse. Yeah, you. you see a lot of abuse, a lot of a lot of players getting upset now. You know, quite rightly so when you hear racial comments, and we don't want to hear that because you know it's it's not right. But you know, some of the abuse us referees used to get. You know, it was it was way way below the mm. belt, and we but we, we you know we have to put up with it, and uh, you got to be mentally tough. But when when the abuse when the abuse is directed at then my, my young daughter who was four five years of age, and my wife mm. who was battling leukemia, then you know that that's when you know, you, you draw a line because they got nothing to do with this, and some things that were said about my my daughter. you you wouldn't believe you would not believe some of the things that were said about my daughter an innocent an innocent little girl and you you wouldn't believe what they wanted to do to her so you you, will leave that that. you can Mm. you can use your imagination yeah i think
0: anyone who's a parent can probably see exactly where you're coming from and can understand where you're coming from as well does that kind of abuse ever make you question yourself in terms of the decisions you make on the pitch you go well if that person feels really strongly maybe i did get it wrong
1: yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, there was a couple of times. I think that was the season I decided that that was it for me. I think that was the 2012-13 right, okay. season. There was a couple of things that happened in that season, and I, and I, and, I, and, you know, and normally I, I don't miss things, or I, I don't miss. There was, a, there was an instant at Wigan, Newcastle, where there was a horrendous challenge by McManaman on a Newcastle player, and my view was blocked by a player, and I just didn't see it. No one reacted, and when I saw the challenge, and I thought, "How oh, have I missed that?" Ah, it's a, that's an awful challenge. And yeah, then you start to question yourself. Because I, obviously, sometimes I was sitting in the dressing room thinking, do you know what? I don't want to go out for the second half. Because I put my body through so much in coming back and getting myself fit. My body was starting to shut down. Because of the the chemo and the radiotherapy that I went through, and I was in, and I was questioning myself, and I was thinking to myself, "Mark, is my body telling me now that time's now to pack in?" Because you miss you, you, you missed that incident, and I missed another incident, and you you start questioning yourself mentally, and you're thinking, "Do you know what? I think perhaps this is this is it for me. I think my body's telling me something. My body's telling me, Mark." You know, it can't go on anymore. You know the rigorous training regime we have to put in, um, obviously with with what I'd gone through with mm. with my treatments, and um, perhaps my body just started to shut down.
0: The second biggest headline you received was after you stepped out of the game. It was back in 2016 when you said, I think it was on social media. You said it originally that you'd you'd been directed to say you'd missed in-match incidents that you'd witnessed during the game. Right.
1: Yeah, I think that was that was just me misconst- you know just typical media and everything jumping on something. I mean, listen, what? It only, listen, it happened once, and what it was is it was it was, it was just it was a game at um, Britannia Stadium between Stoke and Blackburn. Obviously, you have necessities there. Big, you know, you had guns and for Blackburn. Short Ryan Shawcross, two big players, and you know, went at each other, hammer and tonge. Which is you like to see battles, and there was a there was a there was challenges going on, and there was a you know you know nothing nothing untoward and you know assessor game had finished everyone shook hands assessor come in well done Mark excellent game no problems at all we didn't pick anything up and I remember because I remember it because on the Sunday I'd been notified that my good friend Gary Speed had um, sadly lost his life mm. that was devastating I remember me assessor phoned up and said oh I've just seen the incident on match a day do you not think that perhaps that challenge by an Nzonzi was a, a yellow card I said listen look for me no I said but listen if you want to put that, you didn't say anything about it in the dressing room. But if you want to put that in your report, I don't care because what happened with with, with Gary, that was it. I wasn't bothered. So, mm-hmm. listen, we had we had we had the meeting. It was a difference of opinion. My, my the management come to me and said, look, look, watch this. I believe this challenge here is a red card. I said, well, I I don't. He said, but I do. And and that and that all it was. He said, well, that that's a red card challenge. You need to inform inform the FA. And that and that was it. It was a difference of opinion, and my only regret on that day was that uh, I should have been stronger, and I should have just said, "No, I'm not changing from what I, you know, I'm not refereeing the game." I should, I should have been stronger. So I blame myself that day. That's all it was. Mm-hmm. In any walk of life, if if your manager tells you to do something, you have to do it. You have to do it, and that and that's all it was, and that's all it was.
0: The latest news about your team, the biggest stories from your terraces, the most exciting moments from your week. Forget the clickbaits and listen to real fans bringing you real news every single day from the Premier League. Listen and subscribe now wherever you find your podcasts by searching Football Social Daily. I suppose that is the challenge of a referee, isn't it? On one part, you're there to to make sure the rules are obeyed. But on the other hand, you just need to make sure it's kind of fair and I guess that's where what you say about you referee with common sense that kind of comes into play
1: Jim just let me um uh, you know give you a yellow card there so it's, the, it's the laws of the game okay not the rules sorry <laughs> 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 yeah listen yeah you always as, as, as a referee you know you, you always you always get that opportunity to stamp the authority on the game that don't necessarily mean it's with with a yellow a yellow card or or just verbally, sometimes you know, you stop the game. Your body language, you call a player, and you call the captain and say, right, you know, and you and you give them a, you know, you, you give them a verbally, and and then players know know where they are. I mean, listen, there are there are occasions. You just can't manage. There are occasions where, you know, a reckless challenge comes in and you can't manage it. You've got to give a yellow card or a, a, a serious foul play challenge comes in, a challenge that endangers a player's safety with excessive force, whether it's his first challenge or not. You can't manage them. You can't manage an act of violent conduct. It's bang red card and off yeah. they go. Yeah, you know, referee with a smile on your face, as I always say. You can smile with the players, you can joke with the players, but when you get that chance to. To stamp your authority on the game, you must do that, and that's at any level, whether it's grassroots or you know semi-professional or professional football. You know, it's no different with the players. They're all they all all the players are the same mentally, and it's like if you, you know, it's having awareness of what's going on around you. If you ain't if you're not aware or physically, mentally fit. For that game, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose control of that game because if you're not aware of the little niggles that are going on around the field of play, like you know, the nine and five, the five just clear past the ball out to his right back, and all of a sudden, number nine just catches him, mate, and you don't see that, you don't keep your gaze vision, and you don't give that. Then that that no, that going gonna think well he's not he'd referee's letting that go. Dave, I'm gonna mm-hmm. give him a little bit back. And then obviously then you have got loads of little niggles. And then you got you're getting you know one two three four five six seven yellow cards because you've not picked up that first instant in the in the first five minutes. A little niggle. You keep your gaze vision. You see that little challenge. You say, hey, I've, you know you're playing advantage. Hey, I've seen that. Cut it out you. Cut that out. You know. So it's about you know reading and and reading the game and and being aware of what is going on around you
0: You mentioned authority being important as a referee, now for me some of that authority is being taken away by one of the biggest changes in terms of refereeing I guess, which would be the introduction of video refereeing and yeah. this is a time when referees are under huge pressure anyway, probably more so than they have been in yeah. a long time, do you think VAR in itself undermines the job that you were doing?
1: No, listen, I, I, I personally think VAR is is good for the game okay if and that's a big if it's implemented correctly
0: mm.
1: and we're not seeing it in my opinion implemented correctly well we're seeing it we're seeing a change because I know I've been one of the the biggest guy is crying out for that the on-field referee. As the IFAB protocol says, the on-field referee must make that final decision. And that's why FIFA have got in this year and they've warned the Premier League if they don't start following the protocol, then they'll have their licence taken away. The referee has to go to that monitor on subject to decisions. Mm. And now we're seeing that this season because they've been forced to. And that's how they should have been operating it from the first place. The on-field referee must make that final decision. Whether he goes across the the screen and, and sticks with his original decision and, and you still don't agree with it at least everybody would accept that and respect it
0: do you think it was introduced too soon do you think it wasn't trialed enough that they i mean it's ridiculous that you're having these discussions about the changes of rules whether it's a fifa directive sorry changes of laws whether it's <laughs> a, a fifa directive or whether it's something decided by the premier league but you're having these discussions whilst the competition is running that seems like a, a, a crazy situation to be in
1: yeah, well, listen. If you look at that, they have, they've been they've been practically you know, trialing this and and getting training on the VR for for about three or four seasons now. So it's about the quality of of refereeing. And I, and I have to say, I think that the the standard has declined. Well, listen, we've got some great, really good referees out there. I mean, for me, Michael Oliver is is our, is our top referee. You have got Martin Atkinson. Um, my, I know love or hate him, Mike Dean. You know, who's not afraid to make a decision. Um, you know, Anthony Taylor. So we've got some good young ones coming through. Andy Madley, I think, is going to be a good referee. And I think Peter Banks. But I always say good coaches turn average players into good players, good players into excellent players. And that's no different with, with referees. And at the moment, we're struggling to find... We've not got some decent top coaches that are coaching our referees at the moment. And, and, and that's obvious in, in, in the way we're refereeing. It is difficult, but I think what I think for me is happening is that yes, there's a directive from the PGML management, which comes, which has come down from, you know, from FIFA via, you know, the IFB, then FIFA and UEFA. And now they're all sort of doing a U-turn. Now for me, what they've done, what, what's happening is why we're we getting these, 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 these handballs is that they're not, they're not implementing the laws of the game correctly. As is Well, they're getting confused with, with natural and unnatural. Okay. So, Law 12, handing the ball, okay? I'll just just read it to you, okay? Right. It is an offence if a player deliberately, I stress, deliberately, touches the ball with their hand arm, including moving the hand arm towards the ball, gains possession control of the ball after it has touched their hand arm and then Scores in the opponent's goal, creates a goal-scoring opportunity, which we all know, which we agree with that, because of the consequences of what happens next. Scores in the opponent's goal directly from their hand arm, even if accidental, including by the goalkeeper. It is usually an offence if a player touches the ball with their hand arm when the hand arm has made their body unnaturally bigger. The hand arm is above beyond their shoulder level unless the player deliberately plays the ball, which then touches their hand and arm. The above offences apply even if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from head or body, including the foot of another player who is close. Okay? So then it goes on to say except for the above offences, it is not an offence if the ball touches a player's hand or arm directly from the player's own head or body, including foot, directly from head or body, including foot, of another player who is in close proximity. If the hand and arm is closed and the body then does not make the body unnaturally bigger. that's the law. That's the law as well. Handling the ball. okay. so what they're getting confused is, is with natural and unnatural. And that's why we're having all these problems, because there's no leadership and direction coming from the PGMOL.
0: Should it be about intent? Because ultimately, it's whether a player's trying to gain an advantage. And intent's not something you can prove with slow motion or replays or anything like that. Intent's in your head, surely, rather than actually something you do physically.
1: Listen, Jim, intent has been taken. Intent is not in the laws of the game. It's deliberately. He deliberately moves his arm towards the ball. He deliberately puts his arm in the air. He deliberately makes himself bigger. His arm is in a natural position. It's about a deliberate act. It's all about a deliberate act. Was it a deliberate act or was it not a deliberate act?
0: So if you're a referee today, if, this, if you're in this situation, if you're still in the middle, you've got the whistle, how do you handle this situation? Because you don't feel like you're getting the leadership you need from above. You're given the task of implementing these rules in the pitch. But, and at the same time, you're the one that's going to get the criticism. You're the one that's going to get the stick for getting these decisions arguably wrong.
1: I've got a lot of sympathy for the referees because it's not their fault. They're just carrying out orders. Like I said to you earlier on, what their manager tells them they have to do, but they could still go to that monitor. As soon as they get told to go to that monitor, then they're they're feeling, oh, we've got this wrong. I've got this wrong. So they're, they're looking. So what is, you can look at that, you know, you keep looking, 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 and it's in slow motion. Now they've got to be looking at, at the monitor in real time. So if you slow things down, you can make it look like violent conduct. You can make it look like a red card challenge. You could make it look like it's handball. But I would like to see them go across it. I'd, I'd love, love to see. I know I know some of the referees, and I know they didn't want to give those decisions.
0: You talk a lot of sense, Mark, and you talk with a lot of passion as well. Would you like to be involved in an official capacity in helping shape ah, the way the game Jim, is managed?
1: Jim, absolutely. 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 But unfortunately, um, you know didn't leave on good terms with, with, with the management. So, um, but listen, that's gone. You know, it's about, it's about today. It's about improving and the de- development of, of referees today. Not what happened six, six years ago, but, but now, you know, everybody deserves a second chance. Um, but I, I enjoy what I do now with, um, you know, with, with my newspaper columns and, and my ref lounge and um, mm. keys to football. You know, we do a ref watch every Monday now to counteract. Um, ref watch on, on Sky because uh, you know as much as I respect um, Dermot Gallagher he does come out with some nonsense
0: <laughs> always enjoy hearing your thoughts and reading your words <laughs> Mark you are one of the uh, voices of reason uh, when it comes to <laughs> refereeing any regrets when you look back on your career anything you wish you'd done differently
1: yeah I suppose we all, we all, have, we all have we all look back and we have regrets um, I think you know I, I, I could have been a little bit um, I, you know, I look I look back and I think I sort of sometimes I was a bit at um, log with with management over different issues and different things, you know, I you know I wear my heart on my sleeve and um, I say how it is and I say you know I say what I think and obviously that I think that upset them. But some people just you know just toe the line and say nothing. That's that's not me. I think you know, the one thing people say to me are, oh, yeah, oh, do you not regret ever doing the FA Cup, getting the FA Cup final? Well, yeah, I'd love to have done the FA Cup final, but obviously the face didn't fit. But I think I'll get something better than that. I think, you know, over, over the course of my career, you know, the players, I always, I always hear that the players and, 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 and fans always thought I was a, a decent referee, a good referee, and that means more to me than anything else. If you're going to pick one
0: moment, I want you to imagine that on the wall of your office, there's an empty frame at the moment and you can snapshot one moment from your career and stick it in that empty frame to remind you of the pinnacle, the highlight. What would be in that frame.
1: I Listen, I've, I've had some great memories. Um, made some wonderful friends who I'm still friendly with now. Um, you know, through through, through visit, you know, refereeing on the Premier League um, many years. Um, I, I think I think if I look if I look back, I think the, the day I stepped out um, with the 2011-12 season. I think it was uh, the uh, Wigan Blackpool. I think it was 2011. Too, my first game back in the Premier League. Mm. Well, when I was told I'd never ever referee at that level again, and the reception I got was was fantastic. And stepping out on that pitch and having my boss um, Keith Hackett there, and my uh, my family, my wife and daughter, and the professor, the professor Timmy that saved my life. I think that was. I look back on that and I think yeah, that was. That was fantastic. That was that was my that was my magic moment, you know, coming back and refereeing at the highest level.
0: Brilliant moment, brilliant achievement. Mark has been an absolute joy to speak to you. Really appreciate your time today, and and good luck with whatever comes next.
1: Thanks very much. All the best, Jim. Good to talk to you.
0: Great chat, and what a nice fella Mark Halsey is as well. Almost makes me feel guilty for abusing referees shouting at my TV all those years. Almost. You can check out the other shows in this series if you haven't done so already. You can hear my conversations with people like the Arsenal physios Gary and Colin Lewin, the man behind many of Manchester United's terrace chants, Pete Boyle. And there's a really cool chat with a guy called Kieran Maguire on this series as well. He's the guy behind Price of Football. And we talk about some of the murkier dealings in football finance. A really interesting chat. Make sure you click subscribe now. You'll get all those shows whenever they're published, along with season two, which should be out in the new year. But for now, thank you for listening. This was Football Stories. Football Stories is a Sports Social production and part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hosted and produced by Jim Salverson, with additional production support and imaging from Ant McGinley.